Today, I'm excited to welcome Mike Connor to On the Rocks. On this episode, Mike and I chat about key decision-making for mining investors, the industry's need for more entrepreneurs and an entrepreneurial mindset, and the wonders of Topo Chico mineral water from Mexico. Mike is a mining entrepreneur with experience in deal-making, financing, and corporate strategy. He's the co-founder and managing director of Inventa Capital, a natural resource investor and incubator with companies worldwide focused on the global shift in energy systems. Mike is also the founder and CEO of Vista Silver, a New York-listed company developing projects in the newly consolidated Canuco Copala District, one of Mexico's highest-grade silver and gold districts. Mike previously co-founded Cobalt One Energy, a cobalt exploration company that he led as CEO and sold to Blackstone Minerals in 2017, and he also holds several board positions. With that, cheers, and let's jump in. Well, thank you, Mike, for joining us here on The Rocks. It's great to have you calling in from Mexico, I know. Uh, what are you drinking today? Well, it's not tequila. It's uh, Topo Chico, which is my favorite um, mineral water here in Mexico. And I can't get it in Canada, so I drink it a lot down here. But um, I love uh, being in Mexico. And, and part of that, of course, is the tequila. So I, if I were drinking tequila, I'd be drinking Tears of Urena, Ur- Urena mm-hmm. which is uh, a nice uh, tequila brand. But uh, today is just water. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't get Topo Chico in Canada? They don't carry it? No. Really? They, they started carrying Topo Chico hard seltzers, though. So you can get, you know, vodka or whatever it is um, yeah. and soda water in cans. But you can't actually get the, uh, the soda water. Oh, funny. It's it's super popular here in Florida. Like we buy it at the grocery store and my husband is a huge fan and basically does mix it with a little bit of tequila and lime and maybe a, a little bit of jalapeno to make basically wow. his own, we call it ranch water. It's kind of how it's marketed here, which is basically, you know, tequila and mineral water with a little bit of flavor. So, oh, that's, uh, I know what to send you next time then. Send you a key. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I am, I'm drinking Rabbit Hole again. So another uh, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, just in case we go down a rabbit hole during this conversation. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm excited to have you on because I think you have such a, an interesting career and focus in the mining industry and in looking at certainly the investment side, but also kind of the combination of entrepreneurship and mining, which I know you and I share a lot of kind of common thoughts on that. So to kick it off, I wanted to kind of ask you to explain a little bit, give us some some kind of lessons learned that you've seen in terms of making choices about mining companies and how that how that plays out in your daily business. Yeah, so I mean that's that's basically my my job is to uh, make, make decisions, decisions, make choices. You know how we allocate capital both for for Visla Silver and how we invest our own money and. Um, our efforts and invent a capital into to build a new company so maybe for those that, that don't know my my background i have a, a business background i studied uh, commerce at university and i got into the capital market side of, of the the mining industry which is you know i i, I didn't really know that how much it, it existed in vancouver and i, I quickly found out and I, I quickly fell in love with um you know, the investment side of natural resources. So as part of that, I, I'm the, the founder and CEO of Visla Silver. And Visla Silver is a, a New York um, stock exchange listed silver company. 
We're building a very large silver district, a mine in a silver district in, in Sinaloa, Mexico, hence why I'm in Mexico right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was a company that we started basically under the, the Inventa Capital banner. And, and the day that um, we started both Beesla and Inventa was the day that I, I completed the sale of a cobalt company uh, that my, myself and my business partner, Craig Perry, had started about a year before. And our vision with, with Visla was always to build a major mining company, essentially, out of, out of an asset that we could find that had some sort of exposure to, to electrification. And then our vision for Inventa has always been to provide the, the elements that the world needs, which means that we incubate companies, we invest in companies. And, you know, as part of that, you know, it's, it's basically decision making all day long. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned from my experience is really that, you know, the most important decisions all have to do around people and, you know, decisions can be influenced, but, but, you know, basically strategy and everything all comes down to people and communication. And, and I've learned the, the importance of those things, you know, over the last uh, number of years working in the business here. And where do you see maybe some key decision points when you're, when you're looking at a company and how it's evolving? Are there key decision points that are really important as an investor to pay attention to? Well, one of the, the, the most important things I think and uh, something that we really focus on at Visla is refining the vision uh, that the company has. A lot of times, it's actually amazing how many companies out there exist without a vision or a strategy or, or objectives or anything. And, you know, quickly, you can really determine if something's worth an investment or not based on, you know, the vision, if there is one at the very least, and if it makes sense as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's, um, you know, if we're looking at uh, investing in, let's say lithium, which we've, we've just um, invested in a company there, you know, we need to have a management team that has a vision and that vision needs to align with our values as well. Mm. And, you know, without that, you know, there's really kind of little in the way of um, likelihood of, of achieving success, I would think. And do you think that there's a difference between the mining industry and other industries when it comes to that? Maybe less of a focus across the board on vision and strategy? I, I do, yeah. I think it's been something that, you know, the, the great companies all do. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the major mining companies, there's no, you know, like Nico Eagle or BHP that exists without a, a vision or a strategy. Of course, that that's, um, you know, something that's important to those types of companies. But I think the junior side, the, the, the you know, less developed side, the project side, exploration side, I think it's all been more of a hope and pray strategy for, <laughs> for many years. But I think that's, I think that's changing because uh, I think it's, it's very clear for me at least, and, and I think others in this business that uh, we're not really in the exploration business. We're in the business of providing the world the elements that it needs to, mm-hmm. to decarbonize, to secure energy, to secure supply chains, to do all these things that have become so important over the last couple of years. It's not just, hey, let's drill a few holes here. It's, you know, are we, are we, do we have a likelihood of success of, of actually providing the world the, the things that it needs. And so I think, you know, as the new generation kind of get, gets into this industry, it's clear that uh, a lot of the other kind of tactics that you might learn in, you know, the tech business or you know, Silicon Valley, things like that, are starting to be incorporated into our business as well, which I think is, is great to see. Yeah, I've always thought it 
interesting that um, that in the mining industry, I've, I've asked a few teams in the past, like, tell me your business plan. And every once in a while, you get like a total blank stare, right? Like, no, no, let me tell you about the geology. And I'm like, I get it. I'm a geologist. I love I love all of that. But it, it is an interesting difference in the industry with the kind of that that's not the expectation to have clarity on that stuff at, at the junior stage. Um, but I agree with you. I think it's something that's becoming more and more important, the more integrated perhaps we are into these other industries, that more of that dialogue is happening earlier rather than like never interacting with the actual consumer of the metal that you produce. I think with the vertical integration, we're going to see a little bit more of that and the younger generation, as you pointed out. Yeah. You know, I, I hope so. I think it's it's an important thing. You know, the, I was I was recently through Inventa, we, we've invested in and are incubating and actually this company's had a lot of success so far, but it's a carbon credit company. Mm-hmm. And um, our colleagues, Valko Bridget and, and Jamie Keach run that company. And uh, we, we actually ended up sponsoring an Extreme E electric rally car mm. team with Lewis Hamilton. And, um, you know, they, they take these cars all around the world and uh, raise them and, and kind of raise awareness for climate change and, and um, you know, the natural environment, basically. And I was fortunate enough to go to uh, the final race where we actually won, uh, Vita Carbon's team won, won the championship, which was, which was you know, wonderful. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. A bit of a, I suppose, a bit of a break there, but it's, it all ties into something here. Yeah. Um, but uh, we were on this boat, basically, where they, they, you know, it's a functioning workshop that takes these cars all around the world, but, you know, people and the guests stay on this boat. And it was an incredible group of people. I, I many billionaires, many kind of very interesting people. And, and basically the conversation at that level was all about how to decarbonize and, and how to secure the supply chain, basically secure the, the metals and, and minerals and all the aspects that go into decarbonizing. And because these were electric race cars, I feel like that was kind of the, you know, at the forefront of that. But it, it, it's so clear to me that like, you know, if you were to, let's say you had that, that captive audience, let's say you could get on the stage and say something for, for us miners, right? Yeah. And say, hey, we're going to, you know, give you guys what you need to, to uh, electrify the world and to, um, you know, decarbonize a little. I think they'd say, well, what's your business plan? And most of them would say, oh, yeah, <laughs> you got me. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah, having you know, pitched a technology company to a lot of VC groups, high net worth individuals, all of that. I mean, like 10% maybe of the discussion is around the technical details and the rest is about business, right? And I I do think that that's really different than what we experienced in the mining industry. Um, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're going to need to learn learn that, I think, if we want to attract that those different pools of capital, which I think are so important because, you know, there's such a disconnect between reality you know, as we, I suppose, reality as we see it, mm-hmm. um, which is these metals are indispensable for what we have, what the governments, what what non-governmental groups, but what basically society has all kind of agreed to do, which is, you know, decarbonize and electrify the world and, you know, the, the investors. So, you know, what needs to happen and the people that can provide the capital, I don't think are seen eye to eye. So, yeah, I think that all has to do around around messaging, and that's probably going to be the most important thing going forward. Yeah, no, and and I wonder, do you see uh, do you see any trends in that direction? Are are folks repping lithium companies and cobalt companies? Are they catching on a little faster than than other commodities, perhaps? 
lithium certainly is and and yeah. i've i've had some conversations with you know and having like you know it's funny because when i started on the entrepreneurial side it was around cobalt and i mm -hmm. looked at lithium and i saw the the boom which was which was happening and, and i thought well this is interesting but i knew that that cobalt was more important basically for the the battery makeup uh, and i think we're almost seeing another but a, a bigger wave of of this investment into into lithium right now you know there's there's many many multi-billion dollar companies that really have kind of sprouted up over the last couple of years and there's many half a billion to a billion dollar market cap companies that are you know kind of the flavor of the of the year right now and doing really well and when i talk to the the you know bay street or wall street and the people there they they say well I mean, it doesn't really matter we just want lithium you know and the, our accounts are saying we want lithium. You know, everybody wants lithium right now, which I think is great because it's it's easy to understand. You know, well, it's a lithium battery. We need it. Comes out of the ground. Okay, that's pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's a little bit harder when you know we're marketing. You know, our company Archer Exploration, which is you know uh, we just bought the Grasset deposit off of, of Wallbridge, mm -hmm. and we have an incredible team with an excellent vision there, led by Tom Meyer. And, you know, it's a little bit harder for people to wrap their minds around nickel sulfide because it is, you know, just that one more step, a little bit more technical, I think, right? But I think this uptake of, uh, or uptake of, of lithium investments, I think is helping, um, it's probably just the beginning in, in, a, in a wave of, you know, further investment into uh, these types of metals. Yeah, hopefully it maybe eases people in a little bit to where, okay, get comfy with lithium and then then you start to dig a little deeper and maybe it's easier to to understand nickel and, and other minerals after that. Okay, like the, what is it, like how bacon is like the gateway meat for vegetarians coming back to, <laughs> to eating meat. Maybe lithium is our bacon, you know. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I hope so. It doesn't taste as good as lithium, though. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Lithium samples, you know, don't don't go there. Yeah, no. exactly. Well, and and on that, you mentioned you know entrepreneurship and what you did with with cobalt, and I know this is something again where we don't see a huge amount of what we would consider like traditional entrepreneurship in the mining industry. I would argue like being a junior miner is essentially being an entrepreneur as well. But what are your thoughts on that? I mean, what's your experience with being an entrepreneur in the space? Well, sometimes I do a little bit of soul searching on that. <laughs> Why did I get myself into this? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, there's, it, it's, it's more complex than I think, you know, and maybe this is because there's just been a 10 year bull market in, in provided by low, low interest rates where kind of every crazy idea is getting funded in, in, you know, the tech space and things like that. But and I think it, it, you know, as Robert Friedland says, I think it will become the, the revenge of the miners. So that time is probably over now, and I think it will be be our time. But you know, it there's so many complexities to operating a business plan in this business, especially if you're public, right? So you have to think about investor sentiment. You have to think about company structure. You have to think about where you're going to find the talent, and and basically uh, an industry that's been starved for capital for you know two decades. Yeah. You know, people haven't been going into the, you know, studying engineering and geology and the numbers that they had historically. So there's so many different um, challenges that it, that it, I think it makes it exciting to me. Like I, I, you know, I was kind of talking about the soul searching there, but I, I, I don't think I, there's nothing else that I, I'd want to be doing than working in the space because it, it's different 
you know, every day in a lot of ways. You never know what the market's going to do, and and the market tends to dictate a lot of how you know how we operate as well. So, you know, we we're fortunate with Visa because we have access to to capital, and we have excellent shareholders that have been very very supportive. And you know, recently we were able to finance a, raise a, a large amount of money from great shareholders, and in a, in a, a market where that's been difficult. And I know that because I'm involved in a number of other companies that haven't been getting funding. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, being an entrepreneur in this space, I, you know, what I kind of always was entrepreneurial growing up. I, you know, would have uh, little businesses and things that I would do and a real estate investment when I was really young and things like that. And, and um, it was always kind of um, part of my DNA, I suppose. But uh, in this space, I think it's, it's, it's definitely challenging and there's so many inputs that you need to be kind of constantly monitoring. Uh, but I think that's what, what makes it fun, you know, and, and you know, you, you of course are an entrepreneur in the space as well. I mean, what, what do you think compared to other industries? Well, I always tell people that like being an entrepreneur in general, I don't think it's specific to the mining industry, but being an entrepreneur is like jumping off a cliff and knitting your parachute on the way down. Right. Just like <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the right you you've got a great idea you've got a vision you got all this stuff like you have to take the leap and you have to figure it out right and i think what's unique about the mining industry um is you've got some some really cool technical parts of what goes on and if you as an entrepreneur can kind of understand where you fit in that space and capitalize on your understanding of the the geology the engineering the processing whatever it might be for somebody that's thinking of becoming an entrepreneur, like technical expertise matters a lot, right? The science is important <laughs> in the mining industry. And, and I think that that's a great thing. It's not just a space where people can come in and kind of just do marketing and sales. Like you have to really know what, what you're doing in order to be successful. And I think that's a good thing. I think mining financing and like the traditional ways that the mining industry has funded projects sometimes holds back entrepreneurship in general in the industry, right? It's a very kind of structured process that companies typically go through. The banks and the investors that get behind mining projects have very, like through experience, have like learned what they're good at investing in and what they wanna see. So I think in order to attract that non-traditional capital to the industry and also entrepreneurship in general, we've got to kind of open that up a little bit. Right. And, and I think that relates a lot to technology innovation because there are other industries that are just kicking our butt. Right. <laughs> In a lot of different ways. And, you know, we can talk all we want to each other about everybody needs us for the future. But, hey, we should be part of the discussions about the future. Right. And we're not kind of at the table, I think, because we're kind of stuck in our old ways as an industry. Right. Um, I don't think that changes without people coming in and being entrepreneurial. So it's a little chicken or the egg, but, but that's kind of what I've seen. Yeah, it's a, it, it is interesting, isn't it? There's so many, there's these kind of overriding things that, uh, that, that do make it a little bit more challenging. You know, like you said, the traditional ways of, of financing and the kind of the small pockets of capital that, that are open to this really, you know, are set in their ways. It's, it's um, you know, if you don't, come with a, a structure that's typical. If you do something a little bit atypical, um, it's very hard for, you know, the, the traditional capital providers to participate in, in new companies. I've, I've noticed that as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think, again, I think at some point the overarching supply demand gap will correct for that, right? I mean, at some point, the the kind of bigger world is going to recognize that they need more molecules <laughs> coming from yeah. the industry and new money will come in as I think it, it kind of has been over the last, you know, year and a half, two years. And it'll shake things up a little bit and maybe make the, the old pools of capital compete a little bit, which I think is really healthy. Uh, but it's, um, I think, you know, it's, it's always important to recognize why those patterns or structures exist, right? They, they've come to be that way because people were really successful with that method in the past. It doesn't mean that they're bad or wrong. Um, it just may not be everything we need in order to build this huge pipeline of mines that we're going to need to get all this stuff out of the ground for everything that everybody wants, right? Yeah. It's not enough there. I mean, you literally can't build all of these mines with kind of the capital that's currently in the market. So where's it going to come from? That's the big question. And it, it's so staggering, those numbers. And of course, you know, it's us being in the industry talking about this. I'd love to see this on the, the front of Time magazine or something like that. But, you know, where does where does the world find the ability and the capital to build, you know, all of the copper mines that were built and, you know, the copper was produced in the last 200 years and doing that again in the next 20 years. So, you know, it's it's impossible. It's almost impossible unless the price goes up to incentivize, you know, lower grade operations to go into, into production. And, and then if the um, governments around the world kind of fast track the permitting, because most things take 20 years to permit in a lot of these countries. Too. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there because prices are, are not going up the way everybody would love them to, you also don't see money going into exploration the way it needs to, right? To build out the the kind of first level of that funnel, because not yeah. every deposit we find is going to be a mine, right? And I think that's also what regulators in particular, governments, and even folks on the kind of company consumer side don't understand that you have to have a really big funnel of potential projects in order to get down to things that actually get built. And while they're starting to invest on kind of the projects that are kind of fairly advanced, when are we going to see those companies invent, you know, invest or or provide capital to go into the exploration side? Like, how long will that take? Yeah, yeah, a while. I yeah, <laughs> it's it's a little tricky. But uh, for anyone that's listening, that's thinking about uh, coming in and trying their hand at being an entrepreneur, we need more people to try it. So, uh, you know, it's worth doing. Yeah, and that's where I think again, as, as you mentioned, the you know, the last two decades, it's hard because people don't necessarily see huge success stories that would entice somebody to come in and, and give it a shot, right? Um, and, and hopefully that's what also comes out of the next few years is is getting some big success stories that show people that you can come in and, and do cool stuff, build great projects and, and you know, make money, right? Make, make money to make it worth it. I mean, that's certainly what I hope we see in the next few years in order to keep people excited. You get people in with that bacon on the lithium. Like, how do we get them excited, like you said, about nickel and copper and, and all this other stuff once they're in? Well, I think that can come pretty soon here if we, you know, I oftentimes it's big takeovers that end up um, putting in cash sure. back in the investors' pockets and, you know, everybody gets excited on, you know, finding the next one and the next one and the next one. So I think, I think it's, you know, super certainly... Closer today than we were yesterday. Uh, every day is closer yeah. to that happening. But, uh, you know, it, it's still fun, even in these times, I, I think, that are a little bit more difficult. Now, and if you're looking at entrepreneurship in the industry, what areas do you think 
we really need to see more of that. Are there specific gaps that you see or, or places that you think need more, more interest, more excitement? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that um, I'm interested in following is, you know, I've mentioned him already here, Robert Friedland, and, you know, he's got the iPulse technology. Mm -hmm. I saw that BHP just started working with, um, with, with that group, with their, his group there um, on, you know, some of these, these technologies to, to minimize emissions. And so I, I thought that was really kind of interesting. You know, I think, I think where we're going to see probably the most innovation and, and where entrepreneurs probably make a name for themselves could be on that, um, that innovation around processing, around production, but also exploration. And I think we need to find ways. And I've been, I've been chatting with a few group guys, um, guys and gals out of universities that are working on basically technology that helps locate high potential targets for exploration around the world using mm -hmm. radar and, and, um, you know, LIDAR, so I should say, and, um, you know, satellite imagery, which I think is quite interesting. If we could minimize the efforts that it takes to find a worthwhile target in exploration, then that's saving a lot of lost on capital. Of course, that kills a lot of the, you know, the quote unquote zombie junior companies on the, uh, the venture exchange around the world, but uh, that could be okay. <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, it, it, it probably makes that capital more efficient, which in turn, you know, creates a higher return on investment, which probably entices more investors to, to enter the space. So I think, you know, having technological and uh, innovation on exploration all the way through to kind of the whole life of mine, into, including closure, I think is probably a really interesting place. And, and one of the things that, um, you know, Invent has been looking at is how do we foster that and, and celebrate that. So we're, we, you know, we're trying to put together a concept that um, has to do with kind of a, a challenge, you know, where there'd be rewards and prizes for, for innovation in the space. And so uh, something that, um, you know, hopefully we can look at doing in 2023. Well, that's really cool. I mean, clearly, you know, folks that listen to the podcast know I'm super passionate about data, right? And the, the innovative power of data and specifically like big data and what you can do with that. And I think some of the the cool things you're referencing on the on the discovery side, right? Um, with sensor integration, I, I've done a lot of work because of the countries I've worked in, like Afghanistan and Libya and, and across North Africa. We always did as much as we possibly could with satellite and different imagery data to basically narrow down the targets that we wanted to physically go to. That was really driven by cost and risk level, right? I mean, the less time you spend on the ground finding something that's not of interest, I mean, if you can reduce that time on the target, then you've increased the, the safety and security of your team and reduced your cost. Um, but we did a lot of that too during COVID, like remote exploration planning, basically using stuff like Aster imagery to look for spectral signatures, which I mean, Aster imagery is so cheap, right? I mean, and, and there are a lot of other data packages out there like that, but there's so much that can be done to kind of narrow that list down and identify those targets even before you get to like geophysics and stuff like that. And you still have to send a geo, right? I mean, you still have to have somebody go and take samples and verify that, yes, the analysis is correct. It doesn't get rid of the human, uh, but it does. It reduces the cost, reduces the risk of everything you're doing. And there's so much space for innovation in that. Uh, I think you're I think you're dead on. And, and that's a great place for, for young people to get involved at the university level and start to take a look at it. I just had a really cool meeting with a, the head of a department here in Florida at FAU where they're looking at 
the same sensors, but using it for ocean floor imagery mapping and solving different challenges. But again, same sensors, same data, same zeros and ones, right? But how you interpret it, how you use it, completely different. Why can't we get those kids to also get excited about mining, <laughs> right? You know, I mean, they're, they're learning the same skills. They're playing around with some of the same problem sets, but they're not paying attention to the mining industry at all as a potential place to work or start a startup or, you know, invest um, as they grow up. So Mike, I've been asking all my guests as our listeners know, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the mining industry, what would you change? I think really, you know, if I could wave a magic wand and, and, and change one thing, it's that disconnect between, you know, society's perception of what we do versus the reality of how much metal is needed, you know, to accomplish our goals. So in other words, it's, you know, having everybody aware that um, mining doesn't just dig in a hole in the ground for, for profits. It's, um, you know, supplying the world with the elements that, uh, that it needs. And so, you know, I, I find myself, maybe I'm targeted on CBC or whatever it is, uh, news, news broadcasting that we have in Canada. And, you know, I sometimes look at comments on, on things that people post and they, there was one that I was reading yesterday about critical minerals and um, you know, all these kind of, environmentalists were, were commenting how how could the government of canada support mining uh, you know we're never going to hit our carbon goals we're never going to hit these things if we're always mining you know as i thought how, like how is that even possible to to miss that step in the logic you know we need mm -hmm. you know mines to to provide and, and why not do them in canada or countries like canada or mexico united states where you know they're they are regulated you know you can't just be dumping fuel and, you know, harmful and harmful elements into the, the water streams, you know, it's, it's, it's all done under the, the watch fly of, uh, of regulators, probably the cleanest mining you can do around the world. And, you know, that it's the best place for it. But, you know, I think really that there is that, that disconnect between society and, and um, people not understanding that anything that um, wasn't grown was mine really that we consume. So um, that, that, that would be my answer to that question. Yeah. You can't hit your carbon goals if you don't mine more critical minerals, yeah. right? Is yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, if, if only we could make one of those magic wands uh, <laughs> out of some cool mineral and we'd be all set. Yeah. Well, so cool. All hard work, I think. And, and that's really the way that I, Think about it is that there's there's no reason why you know we can't do a better job as as an industry in explaining the, those necessary points to people and i think it's going to take you know something like someone you know with with um you know a big voice in the world and a big platform to um to really get that clear to to the world but uh, i think i think our time is coming and you know the the supply chain issues that were happening in europe around this war COVID, things like that. I think it's opening the eyes of, of a lot of people. So I, I think it's it's coming, but it's just, you know, it's our job as, a, as an industry to do just a better job communicating the value that, um, that we bring. Yeah, absolutely. And I know my big push is we need more mining in the movies, right? Movies and TV. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> yeah, we need another, we need another production company to, to up, pick up the message and carry it. So Maybe we should start one. We're talking about entrepreneurship. <laughs> Boom. All right. I'll send over the paperwork. Yeah, we'll start it today. Yeah. 
No, I, um, no, I, I really do think that. I mean, it's like every other industry has great, like essentially product placement in the media. And I just think it's something that we're missing. And we have so many cool stories and, and cool and weird people. Like, I mean, you could have a lot, <laughs> a lot of, of content um, from the folks that just show up at PDAC every year, right? So, well, thank you so much for coming on, Mike, and enjoy the rest of your time in Mexico. And I'll, I'll remember to ship you a few cases of Topo Chico for when you're back in Canada. Perfect. <laughs> I appreciate that.